Our opening words this morning are offered by the Reverend Gretchen Haley, titled, And Yet You Persist. Though you have been warned and given plenty of explanations, reasons to do otherwise, you have persisted to claim a life of joy and justice, to carve out this time, this space for the renewal of your own heart. Despite all the reasons, the resistance, fighting for your attention, luring you toward fear, you persist to practice gratitude for this day, this life that has been given, this chance to begin once again. So let us gather that we might offer one another courage, strength, healing, and hope, and this promise to persist in kindness, persevere in compassion, and prevail in a life that is meant for more than ourselves. Come and let us worship together. There was once a village in which lived a wise elder who spent most of his days sitting just outside the village in the shade of a nice tree, just thinking and watching the world go by. On one of these days, as this wise elder sat there under his tree, he was approached by a traveler. The traveler came up Old man, they said, I've been traveling the world far and wide, meeting many people. And can you tell me, if I go into your village, what kind of people will I meet? The wise elder said, yes, I could tell you, but first, tell me what kinds of people you've met so far in your travels. Oh, you wouldn't believe it said the traveler. Why, I have just met the worst people. I have met selfish people. I have met lazy people. I have met people who don't take care of each other. I have met foolish young people, and I have met depressing old people. As the traveler spoke, a look of sadness came over the wise elder's face. I know just what you mean, he said. And I'm sorry to tell you that if you come into our village, those are the sorts of people you will meet. <laughs> a few days later, the elder was once again sitting under his tree and was approached by another traveler. Excuse me, sir, said this traveler. I have been traveling the world far and wide, meeting many people. And could you please tell me, if I go into your village, what sort of people will I meet? And again, the wise elder said, well, tell me about the people you've met so far. Oh, you wouldn't believe it, said the traveler. Why, everywhere I go, I meet the most wonderful people. Why, I have met kind people who reach out to strangers, and I have met people who take good care of their families. I have met young people that are so full of energy and new ideas, and I've met elders that have so many stories to tell and wisdom to share. As the traveler spoke, the wise elder smiled. Yes, he said, if you enter our village, those are exactly the kinds of people you will find.
Our first reading today is adapted from a poem by Robert Bly entitled, One Source of Bad Information. There is a boy in you, about three years old, who hasn't learned a thing for 30,000 years. Sometimes it's a girl. This child had to make up its mind how to save you from death. They said things like, stay home, avoid elevators, eat only elk. <laughs> you live with this child, but you don't know it. You're in the office, yes, but live with this child at night. They're uninformed, but they do want to save your life. And they have. Because of this child, you've survived a lot. They've got six big ideas. Five of them don't work. <laughs> right now, they're repeating them all to you. Our second reading is from Megan Devine. It's entitled, Companioned Inside Your Grief. Spiritual and meditative practices are not meant to erase pain. That's a symptom of our pain-avoidant culture and not an accurate portrayal of the practices themselves. It is a misuse of so many beautiful teachings to force them into roles that they were never meant to play. Spiritual practices in any tradition, including mindfulness in its many forms, are meant to help you live what is yours to live, not to make you rise above it. These tools are meant to help you feel companioned in, inside your grief. They are meant to give you a tiny bit of breathing room inside what is wholly unbearable. That's not at all the same thing as making the pain go away. Rather than help us rise above being human, teachings in any true tradition help us become more human, more connected, not less connected. So ends our readings. In April of 2015, two world leaders met in Dharmasala, India. Longtime friends, His Holiness the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu met for a week of dialogue, friendship, and celebration. At the end of the week, they celebrated the Dalai Lama's 80th birthday. Part of the record of this historic gathering is a book titled, The Book of Joy, in which these moral and spiritual leaders address the question of how we find joy in the face of life's inevitable suffering. Each of these men have experienced and encountered great suffering in their lives. As a young man, new to his position as the spiritual and political leader of his country, 
the Dalai Lama was driven into exile from his beloved Tibet. The Chinese government claims Tibet as a part of China and so sent its army to occupy the country. The Dalai Lama fled Tibet when he believed his life to be in danger. And so now the Dalai Lama and 100,000 Tibetans took refuge in India where they've been for just over 50 years, seeking to maintain their culture and their identity. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, an Anglican priest and the former Archbishop of South Africa, was and is an ardent activist for civil rights, especially for blacks in South Africa. He played an important role in drawing international attention to the violence of apartheid. In 1995, he was appointed to lead the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which investigated human rights abuses during apartheid in South Africa. And in addition to his own experience of oppression and violence, he and the members of the commission heard many horrifying stories of terror and violence as the realities of apartheid were confessed and shared. And yet, despite the hardships that they have experienced in their lives, these two spiritual leaders are joyful as described by the book's chronicler, Douglas Abrams. They enjoyed each other's company, teasing and laughing, sharing jokes on themselves and each other. Their dialogue is an exploration of the importance and process of finding joy when life is hard. They should know. Today, we enter the month of February with an invitation to explore our spiritual theme of resilience. As I reflected on the theme of resilience, in true Unitarian Universalist fashion, I first noticed myself noting what resilience is not. We Unitarian Universalists tend to talk about what we believe by saying what we don't believe in the first place. So resilience is not stubbornness or rigidity. Resilience is adaptability, flexibility, strength, and bending instead of breaking. Resilience is not denial. It's not denial, looking away, refusing to see what may be difficult that is before us. Resilience means turning toward facing reality as it is, and an awareness of what is real. Resilience requires our attention. And resilience is not passive. In addition to our attention, resilience requires our action, movement, flow. I like this quote from artist Rob Grad. The most delicate flower is still a badass. It sucks food from roots, it stares at the sun and basks in it, it dances with wind, and it drinks rain. As our opening reading said, 
despite plenty of reasons to do otherwise, you have persisted to claim a life of joy and justice. Resilience requires action. So I found two different explanations of the origins of the word resilience. One suggests that resilience stems from the Latin resilier, which means to rebound or recoil. It's our ability to adapt during adversity, our ability to notice what is required of us and change when needed in order to move through the challenge. The rebound is a return to a sense of wholeness and clarity when we've been challenged. In physics, resilience is described as the ability of an elastic material like rubber or our bodies to absorb energy, such as the energy from a blow, and then release that energy as the material springs back into shape. The second definition of resilience suggests that it comes from two Latin words, re, meaning back, and saliens, meaning beginning or heart of. This suggests an active effort to return to our heart, to return to our essential self. So combined, these definitions suggest that resilience is adapting and changing when we are challenged, drawing strength from returning to our heart, our essential self. Resilience is adapting and changing when we are challenged, returning drawing strength from returning to our heart, our essential self. That sounds like spiritual practice to me. During their week together, the Dalai Lama and the Archbishop agreed that, quote, suffering is inevitable, but how we respond to that suffering is our choice. Not even oppression or occupation can take away this freedom to choose our response. As with the travelers in our story today, what we expect and how we choose to respond to others will affect the reaction that we get in return. If we expect others to be unkind, selfish, and without hope, it's likely that's what we'll encounter. And if we expect others to be amazing, generous, and kind, it's likely that's what we'll get in return. Not always, often. We might not have any control over what happens to us, but we always have control over how we respond to it and how we approach it. Some might suggest that the opposite of being fragile is being tough. I suggest that the antidote to fragile is resilience. Resilience isn't putting up walls and a tough skin when we are challenged. It's having practices and disciplines to draw on, 
It means that we are aware of and understand the challenge that is before us, having strong roots, drawing strength from those roots, and then making change in our attitude or our actions or both. So what is at our center, where we are rooted, is most important. The Dalai Lama and the Archbishop identified eight pillars of joy that they draw on and that can be cultivated to offer strength in times of challenge. The four pillars of the mind, the four pillars of the mind are perspective, humility, humor, and acceptance. So perspective is being able to take a step back and put what is happening in a larger context, taking a wider view across both space and time. It's moving beyond the focus on ourselves as an individual and seeing ourselves as part of the interdependent web of existence. It is a web that has a long history of facing adversity. Humility is being able to admit that there is much we don't know and that there isn't much that we can control. It's acknowledging that we are but a small part of that interdependent web. And humor is being able to laugh, especially at ourselves, even in the face of challenges. And finally, acceptance. Sometimes this is a hard word. Acceptance is facing what is, not denying or minimizing or ignoring what is real. But acceptance doesn't mean that we have to like it. It doesn't mean we endorse it or that we agree with it. Acceptance isn't resignation or defeat. It's actually the opposite of those things. Acceptance means that we let go of our attachment to a goal and a method, and we face what is. We simply face what is with some equanimity. Only then can we make change in ourselves and in the world. This reminds me of the Serenity Prayer written by the American theologian Reinhold Niebuhr and used by many 12-step groups. Some of you might know it. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The other four pillars of joy have to do with our heart. They are forgiveness, gratitude, compassion, and generosity. So forgiveness doesn't mean allowing a wrongdoing or forgetting that it happened. It's the spiritual practice of freeing ourselves from the past, releasing the ties that might prevent healing and renewal. Gratitude is the spiritual practice of being thankful. Compassion is the practice of cultivating concern when we are confronted with the suffering of someone else 
and being motivated to see that suffering is alleviated. And generosity is the spiritual practice of giving in all the many ways that we can give, materially, spiritually, and otherwise. It is an ancient spiritual teaching that it is in giving that we receive. So each one of these eight pillars of joy offer us the opportunity to practice in a way that helps us build joy at our center, which we can draw on in times of difficulty. Each of these is a spiritual practice and a skill that can be learned. Often we learn them in times of challenge. I think it's good news that resilience can be learned. On reflection about my own sense of resilience, I realized that it was my maternal grandmother who was an important role model for me as I learned resilience. So my granny was born in 1915. She experienced the Great Depression as a teenager and a young adult. She lost her mother when she was a teenager and so, as the oldest of her siblings, she had a challenging relationship with her stepmother. And some of the stories that I heard as a child reminded me of the Grimm's fairy tales. <laughs> because she was the oldest, she left school early. She did not finish high school, and she helped support her family. She worked outside of the home for her entire life. In the early 1940s, she found herself divorced with a toddler. That was my mom. In a time when this was not very common or very well accepted. And after she remarried, she worked hard to support and raise her family, a skill that served her very well when she was widowed young in her 50s. She surrounded herself with friends, she was active in book groups and card groups. She loved to play cards. And she was a regular participant in her church. She danced whenever she could. Her favorites were the Elks and the Eagles on Friday night. And she cultivated connections with others, relishing family and friends all around her. Well before I knew the whole story of my granny's life, I knew her to be accepting, generous, and funny. Everyone was welcome in her home, greeted with a hug and a plate of food. Of course, it was the Midwest. She loved to tell jokes, especially body jokes, and she had quite a repertoire of off-color jokes. And she would laugh with abandon. She would laugh with abandon. I hear her cackle in the laughter of my mom and my aunt, and my husband says he hears her laugh in mine. <laughs> I am very grateful to have inherited my granny's laugh as well as the lessons of resilience that she passed on to me. Although she faced many challenges in her life, granny remained open, bending without breaking, drawing strength from her core values and her religious belief. She cultivated joy through acceptance 
generosity, and humor. She met the world with an expectation of goodness, and often that is what she received in return. So one of the pivotal ways that Granny passed on resilience to me happened when I was in college. I was being pestered for a date by a guy in my freshman chemistry class. And on a weekend when my granny was visiting, she heard the story and suggested that maybe I should consider accepting the invitation, that I be open to meeting someone new despite a somewhat broken heart. What have you got to lose, she said. That guy's been my husband for almost 36 years. <laughs> no doubt our lives would have been very different without Granny's encouragement to be resilient in that moment. This past year has also been a test of my resilience, and I have drawn on my Granny's teachings often with great gratitude. So, you know that we are in a time of incredible challenge. I won't list all the changes and challenges that we have in, are encountering now. You have your own list and you really don't need to hear mine. Daily life can feel overwhelming, let alone any consideration of the future. I believe that we are being asked to learn some new skills to build our resilience. Robert Bly reminds us that we have an ancient child in us seeking to protect us by making us safe. That ancient voice tells us to be afraid, to stay home, to avoid elevators, to eat only elk. It is a voice that has served us well for a long time. It has helped us survive, but it only has six big ideas and five of them don't work anymore. Operating from a place of fear causes us to hunker down and draw in and build walls. We are being invited to create or recreate more big ideas. Ideas like the earth is alive, everything is connected, we need each other. Alone, our voices might seem tiny, but all together, we make a mighty roar. Some new big ideas will help us survive, and maybe, just maybe, even thrive. In their week together, the Dalai Lama and the Archbishop shared not only friendship, laughter, and food, they shared their spiritual practices the Dalai Lama invited the archbishop into his meditation room where he stores what is remaining of the ancient texts of Tibetan Buddhism. They shared a reading and a time of meditation together in that sacred space. And then the archbishop offered communion to the Dalai Lama, that ancient ritual that has images and passages from the Christian Bible. Each of these spiritual leaders has ancient practices that they draw on. Ritual, reading, reflection, meditation, prayer. 
these are the practices that they have drawn on to face the challenges in their lives, practices that have made them strong and resilient, practices that help them calm the voice of fear because they have that voice too, and to see clearly what they are facing and dig deep to connect with the center of their strength. Their roots go down, 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 deep. Ours can too. Ours can too. Just like those delicate badass flowers, we can draw food through our roots and stare at the sun and dance with the wind and drink rain. We can draw spiritual sustenance for our hearts, minds, and spirits so that we can be here for the long haul and show up at the table again and again and again. So as we explore the theme of resilience this month, I invite you to ponder these questions. Who taught you about resilience? What new big ideas, what resilient skills are you being invited to learn? What practices help you return to the heart of your soul and remember that your roots go deep? Let us take just a moment now to turn our attention inward, listening for the voice of our heart Settle into your seat, breathe in, breathe out, and let us share a moment of silence together. <laughs> 